episode 113 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Kathy the Angry Nerd. I love science and sharks and pizza and cats. Joining me as always is my co-host and co-conspirator, the mistress of Merlot, the real housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of wine, ladies and gentlemen, Ashes One Nightmare. Hi, my name is Ashes. What's yours? I already told you, it's the part of the intro. And uh, Who says I was asking you? Oh. I'm asking our listeners. Oh yeah, that's true. They could answer. We just can't hear back. Right, but then they can like, let us know on Facebook it's or like Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, and you can join us and join the conversation and talk about exactly. fun stuff. Oh my god, oh my this goodness, is why I'm I don't so skip rehearsals. Smart. Oh. And we are, of course, also joined by... The man who is the glue that holds our gears together, the hardest working man in podcasting, and the man with the handsome voice, it is Johnny Wolfenstein. Oh, no mic. And I haven't turned on my own mic. I'm a great producer. <laughs> and uh, you probably don't want glue in your gears because uh, I, I think they'll get stuck. So I, I don't know that that's a good thing. That was a Simpsons reference that our uh, like six people might get. So that's okay. Is, but, so it, is it a good thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, Homer was trying to make a point about how great people were. Uh, they are the glue that holds together the gears, but he, did, he didn't quite understand the way gears work. <laughs> but it was meant as a compliment. Well, I appreciate that. So uh, we are here today to talk about... Uh, couple things um we did stuff we did do stuff but um i did i just i literally just had a thought as we were sitting down and talking about this oh god help us all so i'm gonna give you a little bit of insight into how my brain works because i have oh like god help us all super severe adhd so i was sitting here trying to figure out what i, was I feel, I feel say like you kind of need to give like a little warning like hold on to your knickers because uh Hold on to your dookie. It's about to get spooky. (laughs) Maybe. Okay, that's not exactly. Okay, never mind. I'll save that for our Halloween episodes. You you do you. You do you. So sometimes I'll think of a thing that makes me think of another thing that makes me think of another thing that makes me think of another thing. So to give you an idea into how I just got this this thought into my head, uh, I was thinking about Wolfie's introduction. Because Wolfie is, uh, as I've mentioned before, the Cal Ripken uh, Jr. Of, of of our show because he's mm-hmm. been on every single every single one, and I uh, wrote an article earlier today about how Cal Ripken played opposite of uh, Wade Boggs in the longest game ever played in professional baseball history, thirty three innings. Holy crap! Yeah, between the. Uh, Pawtucket Red Sox and the uh, then um, Baltimore Orioles affiliate. Uh, oh, I'm, I think the Rochester Red Wings. I know they're the Red Wings. I'm totally blanking now. Uh, I, I I'm almost certain that's it. I, I thought so, too. But they are now the Minnesota Twins uh, farm team. But at the time, they were the... Uh, they were the... Uh, the affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles, hence why Cal Ripken was playing. And 
This game was, uh, it started April 18th, 1981, so I was a little over two weeks old at the time. The game was called at 4.07 a.m. after 32 innings. So when did the game start? Like, how long did it go? It's like a 7.05 start, so you're looking at, let's see, five, nine hours. Holy so a, crap. So a standard Red Sox-Yankees nine-inning game. Yeah. Uh so the game went nine hours, went 32 innings, and they finally called it a 407 because Rochester had to fly out to play another series. So they came back on June 23rd, played one inning, and the Paw Sox won in the bottom of the 33rd on a single. Now, I wrote a whole article about this. This article will be up. You'll be able to check my particulars because I, I may get some of these. Names wrong, but Marty Barrett scored the winning run, and uh, you know that made me think of the Paw Sox and about how the Paw Sox are moving to Worcester in a few years, and I'm very very excited about this. And uh, I know I've I've mentioned it, but I just wanted to throw it out there that I am excited for the Paw Sox. It has nothing to do with any of the stuff we're talking about today, but. Uh, that's just how my mind works. One so, thing brings me to another, brings me to another. I feel like maybe you should give a little bit of like background information on what the Paw Sox actually are the, for people who maybe oh yeah, for aren't from who, around here. Like or our Canadian friends yeah. in Canada. Yeah. So the Paw Sox, uh, it's the, the affectionate nickname of the Pawtucket Red Sox, the Triple A, which is one step below major leagues if you are not a fan of sport ball. Uh, it's Go one step below. Ball. And uh, some of the folks who have played down there, you know, Roger Clemens, Mookie Betts, that's your buddy. Mookie, I love Mookie so much. Can I talk about Mookie for two seconds? I just love him so much. I want to adopt him. So if you know Mookie Betts personally, like if he's looking for a home, please let me know because I will gladly adopt him. He also goes by Marcus Lynn. Marcus Lynn Betts is his full name. He's Mookie. He's a Mookie monster. He's a Mookie. So... There is a big to-do because that team has been down there since 1970, down in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, um, which if you are a fan of Family Guy, you will have seen this stadium multiple times, McCoy Stadium, where the Paw Sox play, you know, and that's where, essentially where the, the Griffins live, mm-hmm. you know, just outside of Pawtucket, you know, because he works for the Pawtucket Patriot Brewery, which is not real, but the Paw Sox are. Their mascot is a polar bear, and his name is Paws. And so instead of, like, those giant foam fingers, you can get, like, foam claws. You know, similar to, like, what the Bruins have, but they have them for the Paw Sox. They just change the colors. Uh, And they are moving to my hometown of Worcester in 2021. And Worcester, for people who don't know, uh, Worcester is actually the second largest city in uh, New England. Outside yep. of Boston, it's bigger than Providence, it's bigger than Hartford, it's bigger than, you know, Burlington, Vermont, or Bangor, Maine, or, you know, any of these other cities that you would normally associate with being large cities. Worcester is actually larger than they are. And Worcester does have some uh, some uh, baseball history to fall back on. Uh, Wolfie, you probably know this, but uh, Ted Williams hit his first professional home run in Worcester in a, uh, in a an exhibition game against Holy Cross. I did not. Oh, you did not. Well, nope. Now you do. The first ever 
perfect game was thrown in Worcester by, uh, I'm forgetting his name, like Joe Richmond or something Richmond, uh, as a member of the Worcester Ruby Legs on June 12th, 1880. (laughs) So 130 years ago. Um, uh, that the rules were a little different back then, uh, and I didn't know this. Wolf, I know you're a big baseball guy, but did you know that uh, back at, at, in this uh, early incarnation of the sport, uh, it was eight balls to make a walk, and if you got hit by a pitch, you did not get your base. So uh, I thought that was interesting. So you get a little more leeway to throw a perfect game, but yeah. So there's a little bit of baseball history, but I'm very excited because this is. Not only uh, will Kelly Square get revamped, because Kelly Square is an absolute death trap. Uh, the mindset of people driving through this intersection is just don't stop. Like, there's cars coming. It doesn't just keep going, and everything will work out. Just step on the gas and don't stop. Yeah. It, it's it's like it was... This is like a, a, a Lovecraftian like city planner came up with this intersection. But, yeah, I'm very excited to have professional baseball. They're going to make, like, a, a replica of Fenway, basically. There's going to be a, a green monster. There's going to be hotels. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm just interested to see what it does for, A, like, tourism in the area. And if the price of things are going to go up. Yeah, you can go to a, a Paw Sox game for, like, 12 bucks. Like, they used to just hand out. Uh, free tickets all the time, like when I was in, in grade school. Uh, the team actually was gone for a while because uh, for a couple of years because they went bankrupt and they just simply couldn't feel the team. They couldn't they couldn't uh, financially support it. So it's it's very interesting that now it's moving. Um, tickets will definitely be more expensive, especially since they're building a new park. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it, it, I don't think it's going to approach Fenway. No, I, I think it, no, no way. I think it'll maybe double. Yeah, so, so instead of twelve dollars, it'd be like twenty-four. Yeah, but you still get a really good seat, and because yeah. this isn't like a massive fifty-thousand-seat stadium, we're talking about, we're talking maybe half that, maybe. And the awesome thing, I, I, I unfortunately don't remember her name, but the awesome thing is the, the stadium is being designed by a woman. It's the same woman who did uh, Petco in San Diego, and yes. also Camden Yards in Baltimore, and, really? and a bunch of others. Yeah, oh, she's wow. like the most in demand for uh, baseball stadiums. Yeah, and there's going to be a, a hotel put in there, um, like right behind. It's gonna. It's similar to how uh, Camden has like that big factory there in the outfield. Yeah, uh, Petco has it as well. Okay, yeah. Yep. So this is going to have the same type of thing. It's going to be a nice tall hotel uh, in left field. Mm-hmm. So you know that'll help tourism. It's like, well, I can look out my window and watch a baseball game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, that'll be pretty cool. And, you know, these aren't just, like, no-name guys you haven't heard of. Like, these are the future Boston Red Sox. And, you know, well, guys that's what on I was rehab say. assignments. Like, one of the things I love about going to minor league games, and I have, um, haven't really been to – I haven't been to any Paw Sox games. So, obviously, that's going to have to be rectified once they – especially once they move to Worcester. But 
as most of you know, I'm a huge hockey fan. So I have seen the Providence Bruins play, and they are the farm team for the Boston Bruins. And you never know who you're going to see, like somebody down there who's been put down there just to get some extra practice, someone who is, has been injured and is just looking to work out. Like you never know who you're going to see. Yeah, I mean. Uh, and, and you never know who's going to be pulled up, too. Like you could have a stud on one of these minor league teams and somebody gets injured on the major team and they're like, you know what, we're, we're pulling you. Two-way Lynn, Brian Johnson. Uh you know, so it's Raphael Devers and, and you can say, hey, I saw this person, you know, when they played in the minors before they got pulled up to the majors yeah. and became huge. Yeah. Like, and that's just kind of a cool thing to be able to say. Guys like Dustin, but like I have, you know, some of the commemorative cups and it has like some of these players, you know, like Dustin Pedroia, like a year or two before he got pulled up and won MVP, he got rookie of the year the year before, like. Like, this is really cool. Like, you get to see these guys. It's almost like uh, going to see a stage play, and it's like, oh, that guy was really good, and then you see him in a movie it's the like next the, year. Yeah, well, it, it's, yeah, it's kind of like the off-Broadway performance of a Broadway show. That's, that's kind of yeah, what it's that's like. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited for this. I'm excited that not only is it going to give families an opportunity to have something else to do, and, you know, just people in general, something else to do, because generally ticket prices and concession prices are cheaper than at these big. Well, I mean, Fenway literally has the highest of both in like all of sports. Yeah, no, this is true. This is true. Like, that's not Fenway. an exaggeration. It's, and like, it's amazing. Oh, I'd like some popcorn. OK, well, just give me three of your fingers. Yeah. And then what <laughs> yeah. do you use to eat the popcorn? So, speaking of Fenway, Fenway's in Boston. Fenway is in Boston. And we recently did something else in Boston. We did. We got a chance to uh, head down to Fan Expo Boston and uh, cover that for uh, one of the sites I write for, My Fantasy Sports Talk. And uh, we, we didn't have really any celebrity interaction. Well, I mean, we, we saw some people. Yeah. Uh, we were very impressed by some people. Some of us were impressed. Others were not. Guys, I saw Jason Momoa, and it was, like, the best thing ever. Guys, I saw Jason Momoa, and uh, it was okay. <laughs> no, like, I, I just happened to turn around, and he walked Well, I pointed him to you because he was coming by, and I said, hey. Me, and I couldn't help but just stare at him like mouth agape just like oh my god and it was really funny because i noticed that a lot of other people around me were having a very similar reaction just staring with their mouth wide open just like oh my god that's jason momoa and he had his hair pulled back in a bun and he was had a very determined look on his face so he was only at the con for I believe it was one day that Saturday. So I'm sure they had his schedule pretty like jam packed. But uh, yeah, he was walking like a man on a mission. And boy, yeah, see, I, I, I would have loved to have joined that mission. See, I saw it completely differently. I saw him walking and like kind of like he was like, hey, hey, guys, I'm just kind of walking through. Please don't bother me. Like, I'm just going to go grab some dinner or something like that's what I saw. And what I did immediately is uh 
to grab my phone and I had to send a couple messages out to uh, some people, uh, including our good friend El Goro. And I let El Goro know. I said, just so you know, Jason Momoa just walked by and you are bigger than Jason Momoa. And he said, good to know. That's a great story. It is a great story. But yeah, Jason Momoa, like, oh my God, this this chiseled piece of caramel just walking around. You must have seen something different from what I delicious. saw. Because I saw some dude. I mean, yeah, he's he's an impressive looking guy. He's, I mean, he's he a handsome man. He is good looking. Like, he has some facial features that but can I thought, make any know, seat moist. Much like when I saw Danny Trejo at Rock and Chuck, I thought he would be larger. Like, he wasn't as huge of stature. Like, I've met, you know, some football players, like some offensive linemen back in the day, like Max Lane, who used to play for the Patriots. That dude's, you know, 6'8", 325 or whatever. That guy was huge. Like, Jason Moore was a few inches taller than me. I mean, obviously, he's in way better shape than I am. But it's like, you know, um, you know, I've met Kane Hodder. I've met uh, Derek Mears. And those guys are physically larger than Jason Momoa is. And I was just kind of surprised. Oh, I don't care. He's a beautiful man. Beautiful. So beautiful. So we saw uh, a whole bunch of uh, of different people. We saw uh, some different artists. Um, a lot of vendors. A lot of vendors. Um, so, what were what were a couple of the coolest vendors that you saw? So, one uh, stands out right away, and you actually bought me something from this vendor. I bought you a couple things. Um, yeah, we tr- usually try not to spend too much money at conventions, but sometimes, you know, being collectors and seeing some really cool stuff, like you, you can't help but. Uh, I usually try to window shop, but sometimes you kind of have to break down and buy yourself something a little, you know, something nice. Um, So there was this booth from an online store called Tea and Absinthe. Now, I love tea. I am. uh, The only thing I love more than tea is is wine. I was going to say absinthe. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Actually, absinthe isn't. It's pretty good. Yeah. but anyways, so they had all of these different teas, the blends that they handpicked and created themselves. And they had these jars that you could open up and actually smell the tea before you purchased it. And let me tell you, some of these teas smelled amazing. And one thing that I loved is uh, the fact that some of these blends were actually inspired by kind of nerdy things. So they had a blend for each uh, house of Hogwarts. And they had uh, the one that I got was called Drink Me, and it's an Alice in Wonderland inspired tea. The Hufflepuff Um, is just potato. It's it's just potato (laughs) and water. It's just... (laughs) It smells like French fries. Um, you know, it they had like one sadness. inspired by the Queen of Hearts. They have off with her head. All of these different blends, and then they had just kind of like some some basic blends that um, smelt amazing. And I think I'm going to have to make an order 
soon. Um, yeah, the kind like that a, we got smells friggin' ridiculous. It's I can't like stop smelling it. It tastes walnuts and shit. It's like pineapple. Pineapple. It's a green tea base, and everything is organic, and everything, like I said, is hand blended and hand picked. And these uh, the the people who run the shop do such a great job with their presentation and stuff as well. They encourage um, you to sniff everything. Yeah, they were really encouraging people to sniff everything, and it was so cool. Um, if anybody's interested, we can put the info on the Facebook page and on Twitter as well. But it's just tea and absinthe, all one word. Um, they do have a Facebook page. You can look them up. Uh, I They're local. They're in Waltham. I believe so, yeah. And they do a ton of uh, conventions, so they're always going all over the place. Um, but, yeah, I just I thought that that... And it was set up really cool as well. It was very eye-catching. They did a very good job. Um, with just how their their presentation, but mm-hmm. their product definitely speaks for itself. Uh, so if you are a tea drinker, and they also have kind of like little tea tchotchkes as well, like uh, steepers, diffusers, uh, mugs um, that you can buy, and other things as well. So yeah, it was I, I really enjoyed my time in that booth. I think. Um one of my, I mean, there were a couple things like there was, uh, was like this, uh, was like superhero threads or something like that, but I couldn't remotely come close to affording anything that they had, although it looked really cool. Um, I'll, I'll post a link for them for anybody that's interested as well. Um, and then there was utility kilts, but again, nothing I can come close to affording at the moment. But one of the coolest booths, and this is something that I've been dying, dying to get my hands on, was the Ultra Sabers booth. And I was so, so excited to see this. Because Ultra Sabers, if you don't know, it's a custom lightsaber company. And I have wanted one of these for a long time, but I never actually got a chance to get my hands on one. And... You know, we both got to, you know, pick a couple up and feel how absolutely light they are. Like, it's insane how, like, I have a a Force FX lightsaber. I have Obi-Wan's. But this this stuff is maybe half the weight. That sound about right to you? Oh, yeah. It was super light. I was actually really impressed with these. Like, not only can, oh, my God, you guys, you can get a pink lightsaber. Like, like, the, like the blade, like it glows pink. She said, she's like, oh, I would really like a, a pink one. And I'm like, well, they have it. And then we happened to walk around the corner and they just had like a whole display of uh, lightsabers that were, you know, engaged. So you could see all the different colors. They had the orange and the blue and the, they had a couple different colors of blue, a couple different oranges, greens. Uh, they had the, the a white lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Like they had a dark saber, which was the first. Uh, it looks like a sword, but it's got like black light and it's the first lightsaber that was ever created oh my god it looks so amazing um but like guys i don't think you understand a pink lightsaber like that's so freaking cool but yeah these things were really impressive not only were they so light that you could actually like i i can understand how people use these not only for cosplay props but as what is it are PG? LARPing! Live action role playing, if you are unfamiliar. Yes, that's what it's called. Um, I can understand why people use it to LARP with. Yeah. 
Um, because, I mean, that's what they're designed for. Like, they, and they seem literally to be really de- durable, too. Well, they are. They're literally designed to, to, to do lightsaber duels and combat, like stunt training. Like, they're stunt sabers. Like, that's how they're advertised. And some of them, like, so you can have them made to have sound. And I don't care who you are. Like, it was really funny seeing all of these people who were trying out these lightsabers, and myself included. Even if the lightsaber itself made sound, you found yourself going, dream, wing, wing. <laughs> Um, I did uh, There was another table They had uh, Texas Sabres Texas Custom Sabres Yes And there were a couple of kids That were like Whose saber is this? And they're like I'm I'm pretty sure it's it's Count Dooku And the other kid's like Oh it's not So I couldn't leave well enough alone So I was like Oh yeah That's absolutely Count Dooku's lightsaber And the kid's like Yeah I told you see And his friend was getting so mad But Um I just that was just a little thing, but that wasn't my favorite booth. Uh, there was one other booth where we bought some stuff, uh, and this is a vendor who uh, we're actually going to have on the show, uh, hopefully Octoberish. Yeah, that sounds about right. And that is the uh, Monsters Are Good booth, uh, helmed by our good buddy. Uh, Sam first, yep. who's been on Trick or Treat Radio, and uh, Sam does a variety of uh, like kind of a new age takes on classic monsters. Yep. Um, we each got a shirt. Uh, my shirt just says "Monsters Are Good," and it has this weird little monster dude from uh, an obscure 1956 horror film called "It Conquered the World," which I've been trying to find on Amazon because I really want to watch it. Um, but we have a couple other shirts. Why don't you, uh, explain to the folks like the shirts that we have that we've gotten that you liked? Well, I like all of his stuff. I like his take on kind of like an updated version of almost like B movie prints. And there's just something super cool about what he does and how he presents everything. So not only does he do, uh, he has shirts, but he also does like poster prints and, uh, pins and, um, posters. I I said poster. Okay. But, but mainly, but mainly shirts and he's so good at it. And we have, uh, a design or say I have a design that I absolutely love. And he calls it the Jolly Frank because it is a Frankenstein head uh, and kind of like in a Jolly Roger fashion has lightning bolts underneath the head. And I just think that's super cool. And occasionally he comes out with seasonal apparel and a couple of years ago, he did a similar design, and it was for Christmas, and Frankenstein has, like, a Santa hat on. So I'm one of those really weird people who likes it when my husband and I dress similar. So I bought us matching shirts so we could be weirdos at Christmas. Yep. I mean, like, we're already weirdos at Christmas, you know, with the families but and stuff. But this is a way but to I advertise it. Us to, yeah, like, like, not only do you have to get, you don't have to get to know us to know that we're weirdos. You can look at our shirts and be like you're weirdos and it's Christmas one of the things I wanted to do was the uh, I wanted to get but they didn't have my size was like the Ramones shirt with the eagle in the middle it looks like Mm -hmm. a a seal and it has like all the names of the Ramones on it it's like Joey and Sneezy and Doc and Moe and Larry you you might be getting a couple of things mixed up there I might be Um, but instead it had like you know 
the monster, the mummy, Dracula. Like, I have a, uh, looks like an old school Adam West Batman logo, but mm-hmm. it says Dracula. See, the original the, Batman. Yes. So one of the things that I love about cons is some of the things that you can find. But I love it when you have people there who are promoting themselves and they're like, we'll say homemade goods. You know, their yeah. product, their designs, their artwork, their, you know, craftsmanship. I think that is so cool. And I feel like a lot of cons are overrun and I'm not dissing this by any means because we are collectors but you know cons are primarily overrun with like the Funko Pop people and you know the people selling other collectible type things that you know you can find in a store and one of the things that I love is kind of going through and seeking out these people who are selling things that you can't find other places these one-of-a-kind things Um, you know people who are supporting their livelihood by going to these conventions and selling their wares. So I think it's a great way to not only like advert to get exposure and advertise yourself, but it's also a great way to find things. Yeah. Like, you know, we, one of the things we are talking about is hopefully in a couple of years heading down to Disney and we're talking about going to the Harry Potter world. And, you know, there's, we're getting wands. We're getting the interactive wands that, like, you can do spells I'm and gonna shit. I'm going to make things go, guys. And we happened to walk gonna by. Going to do the thing. And somebody had some replica Harry Potter wands, and she saw the Narcissa Malfoy one, and she's like, holy shit, this thing looks amazing. I'm in love. And I was like, well, that's good, because I really like Lucius Malfoy's fucking snake wand. And since we were both sorted into Slytherin, like, that makes a lot of sense. So we saw, we were able to look at these and be like, oh, you know what? These are the ones we're getting when we go down to Ollivander's Wand Shop in a couple of years because it's going to be awesome and we're going to do spells. And I don't know if we can do any killing curses, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Avada Kedavra. Abracadaver. <laughs> That's going to be my killing curse. I'm going to use that. Abracadaver. I think my killing curse is just going to be die, motherfucker. That that's totally appropriate, right? I I, I feel that way in my bones. Die, fuckus. <laughs> it has to be like vaguely Latin. Vaguely Latin. Yeah. <laughs> it's Leviosa. Oh my god! Shut up. Um. I don't know what else, what else did we would we do at the we we saw a lot of vendors. Um. This is like a different format show today, I think, because we've already gone like half an hour in. Oh. So do you want to take a break, come back and talk about some of the interactions we had with some of the folks? I would love to take a break. All right. So let's uh, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will uh, talk about more stuff. Talk about more con stuff. Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and Trick or Treat Radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you took a shit on a pile of shit. (laughs) 
But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey short. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. Good evening, future passengers. Are you ready to sit back, relax, and join us on a ride of epic proportions through the mystical land of randomness? Am I a serial killer if I eat Lucky Charms? What would it be like if horror characters ran a gym? Who would run spin class? When a shark jumps out of the water, is it like suffocating for that split second? So join us every week for a brand new derailment with Goobs, Ripkin, and Jenny Bean. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Derailers. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on YouTube. Have a great night or day, folks. And we are back. So, as we said before the break, there were uh, a couple other folks that we uh, we got to actually talk to and interview, and we had some extended conversations with these folks. Uh, one of them, uh, we're hoping to have him on the show, is fantasy writer E.H. Uh, e. Annan. And he had one of the larger displays, uh, one of the larger areas, because a lot of people said they felt kind of cramped in because uh, they really tried to, to pack as many people into this uh, uh, space as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we went up to talk to uh, Greg Capullo, uh, I was, you know, I couldn't see where the line was, and the the guy working the table was like, "Oh, you have to go around. It's it's around. It's around to the left." And I'm like, "Oh, over here." And he's like, "No." And he's like, "Around there." And I looked, and the line was actually behind where the row of vendors and artists continued, and I couldn't even see the line because it was up against the wall, but it was behind the area where the artists and vendors were sitting, so we did not get it because there was about 100 people in line, and there was no chance we were going get, to get in there and cover anything else at the con. So, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to speak with uh, Greg Capullo, but we did get a chance, like I said, to talk to E.A. Shannon. Uh, we went over. They were. Uh, it was him and his lady friend were handing out... Uh, bookmarks yeah and i was like well i like to talk to uh you know like we said earlier the independent people like greg capullo everybody is is going to be there seeing him he's going to be fine if we don't talk to him interview him do an article promote his stuff he's still going to be okay because he's already got a built-in audience like when you write batman comics you and draw them and you're you're usually okay so we were talking to E.A. Shannon, and I was like, well, well, tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do. Um, and like I said, uh, we're going to have – we're hopefully going to have him on the show at some point. 
and we are going to, uh, I am going to write an article about the, the interaction I had, but he's got a fantasy uh, series, which uh, all of the proceeds go to helping veterans because he himself is a veteran. And he described his, um, he described his, his fantasy series as uh, which is called uh, Flesh of the Blood, as Lord of the Rings meets Frankenstein, and he was telling us about how some of his, uh, you know, where he got the inspiration for some of his characters. Like, there's this badass blonde warrior girl who's based off a German rock star, like like this like metal singer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like so he based his characters off of that. Like he. Um, I started reading the book. I, I haven't read as much as I would have liked so far, but it's very interesting. It's done differently. Um, you get some very interesting interaction with the different species. You know, there's dwarves and there's orcs and and there's regular humans and you know, he immerses you in this world and you you already start to get this. Animosity between the different races, like you know, through inner monologues and things. It's very, very interesting. Uh, I'm, I have to finish reading it because there's six more books. Right, and one of the things that he said that I found so fascinating was he actually sat down and wrote all of the books before publishing the first one. Yes. So yeah, he got the whole story and then broke it up. Yeah. So right now, you know, he goes through and he edits and does some slight rewrites and whatnot, um, you know, as, as time progresses, you know, because he's putting them out piece by piece. But he fleshed out the entire series before publishing the first book, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, it's and it's great for your fans. Like, you, you know, he has this... Uh, you know, very impressive fan base. Like somebody made him a map of his world, uh, this big leather map. And he said the only re- I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's a good size map. And he said the only reason why it wasn't bigger is because he couldn't find a fatter cow. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, the, the, the fan made him this huge map, you know, like, like J.R.R. Tolkien style. But if you have a rabid fan base that's really like, I want to know what happens, I want to know what happens, you know, you got somebody like George R.R. R. Martin who's, you know... Taking his sweet old time. He had an outline and knew kind of where the story was going to go, but when you have this huge immersive fantasy world that spans, you know, thousands of miles and hundreds of characters, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to keep it all together. But what, what uh, Edward Shannon has done is... He has the whole story. It's done, and he's just releasing the books piece by piece. Everything's done like, you know, basically it's just going through. It's like, okay, did I contradict, you know, if there's a prophecy? Did I leave enough clues to say who this person is? Did I, you know, leave enough breadcrumbs so that people have an idea where the story's going to go, and then I just pull the rug out from under them? Like, making sure everything is consistent and the characters behave the way they're supposed to behave. Um, but it's it's... It's interesting to do it that way as opposed to I have an outline. Now I have to make the story fit this outline. 
One of the things that he, you know, in our process of interviewing him, uh, he let us in on is the fact that he actually uses this as a form of therapy because he has PTSD from being in the military. Yes, I thought that was one of the most interesting things. And he uses his writing and, you know, his words to help him heal from, you know, when he didn't go into specifics, but, um, you know, the, the emotion that he was conveying when he was telling us this was just I was I was there you know what I mean like I I was I was hooked on every single word he was saying and I could see that you know there was so much pain in his eyes but at the same time like talking about his book and this series and what the characters mean to him and what the characters mean to other people you know was helping him and another thing that I love is his. I, we also got to meet his wife, Paulette, who is just absolutely lovely. And what she does is she creates cosplay to his characters. So he likes to keep his characters, for the most part, open-ended. So um, however you think that these characters should be conveyed, portrayed, what they should look like, um, then that's how they look. So what she does is she takes her own interpretation of these characters and turns them into cosplay. And that's her way of supporting her husband, you know, while he goes to conventions and promotes his books and whatnot. And I just thought that was so cool. Like, you know, they go out and she's learning different techniques and stuff as to, to, to make uh, more authentic looking costumes. Like she was talking about how she's going to learn how to do something to kind of make something look like armor and uh, she wears different wigs and glitter like one and she was a different character every day too and you know hair makeup uh, the entire ensemble it was so cool I thought that was just such a fantastic way to support your significant other while still kind of like doing your own thing yeah if you go on to uh, Facebook and just search EHN and it'll come up EHN and author you'll see some of the pictures um, that were taken at this event, you know, at, uh, uh, for, unfortunately our picture isn't up. Our picture with him isn't up. Well, not yet. He's still, uh, putting pictures up. And stuff. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole bunch. There is uh, and you can see some of the cool costumes like this guy dressed as Quint getting eaten by the shark at the end of Jaws is goddamn brilliant. Um, but he really likes the interaction with his fans. And that was, uh, you know, one of the things that you were like you were just saying, it made me think of this, like the fact that, you know, he's um, not super specific with his characters. Um, he just says, OK, you know, this guy's an elf, this guy's this, you know, it's not like, OK, you know, he's you know, and this is one of the things he and I talked about. It's like, OK, this person is six foot five with green eyes and and you know, white hair and he has a long beard and, you know, this is what he's wearing. There's a scar on his left cheek. It's, it gives you the option is like, however you see it. And I compared it to, you know, the monster in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Once you specifically define what something is, that's it. That's all you see. If you let your imagination, uh, work and ima- let your imagination, um, you know, paint this picture for you while you're reading I think it's more immersive and you're allowed to just kind of let yourself get into the story so and I've had this this uh, um, 
experience reading a lot of different books where you're no longer reading the book, but you're watching the story unfold in your mind's eye. Well, I was just going to say, it creates a bond between fan and creator. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's something that is oftentimes lacking, especially in current modern media. Yes. That connection between fan and the creator of whatever this entertainment outlet is. So I think that by you know leaving some things to the reader's imagination, which I mean, hello, that's what books are supposed to be, right? Yeah. You know, you read these words on these pages, and your imagination is supposed to run wild. I mean, I love when books get made into movies. I think that it's a a cool thing to see. That was my depiction of this scene, or you know, did I? I portray it in my head the way that it was intended to be or, you know, to, to kind of compare and contrast. But I think when it's when everything is, is completely spelled out for you, you know, you kind of lose. I mean, I know, I know me personally, it's almost like I lose interest in it because it that's doesn't, not how I pictured this person. This is dumb because it, you know, especially, you know, with books, it just kind of takes away that imaginative part. That's just so enticing with books. Like, you know, if you're going to describe everything to me, then why am I reading this? I can just go turn on TV. Right. You know, so I think that's a brilliant thing that he's doing. He was such a wonderful person. Him and his wife are just absolutely lovely, lovely people. And I look forward to seeing and hearing more from him. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the big things at conventions, especially over the last, uh, let me say, like 10 years or so, that is really um, come to the forefront is cosplay. Yes. Um, the more elaborate costumes, uh, you know, you see. Art. It's really become an art form. Yeah, and it's not, and it it doesn't have to just be like, you know, I'm I'm wearing the super elaborate like you know mech suit or like. Well, and it doesn't even have to be like a shot for shot. You know, this is the Wonder Woman costume. This, this is, is your, this. You know, stitch for stitch. Right. It can be your interpretation of something. It can be one of the things I love um, that I'm sure people have seen are the pictures of the Disney princess stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. You know, the crossover of fandoms and whatnot. I think that cosplay allows people to be as creative as they want to be. And I truly believe it's an art form because not only do you have to be super imaginative, but, you know, the the, the talent that goes into, you know, and I'm a seamstress, so and I and I can't even do some of the things that these these people can do, you know, the fabric. Some people even make their own fabric, which is just crazy. You know, 3D printing things, creating armor, um, coming up with com- these complete elaborate costumes completely on their own. Yeah. Um, you know, designing it from head to toe. It's just it's phenomenal. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, uh, our, our good friend. Jenny Ismi does cosplay. She's done some amazing stuff in the past. She has, yes. Um, but one of the issues facing cosplayers, especially female cosplayers, who they want to, you know, cosplay as a specific character, and a lot of times it's an anime character that is maybe not fully covered. Uh, there maybe there there a lot of their body may be exposed. Um. They have to deal with a lot of um, unwanted attention. We'll put it uh, yes that way. 
one of the first things I noticed at this convention, and this is the only time I've ever seen it, because I don't recall seeing it at any other con, is a series of signs. They were posted all over the place, and in huge letters it says, cosplay is not consent. Meaning just because someone is dressed up a certain way. Like, do you want to walk up to them and say, hey, can I take a picture with you? And they say, yes. That doesn't give you, like, you can't put your hand on their ass. Like, you know, they're agreeing to take a picture with you. They're not, it's not like free range, let your hands roam wherever you want. And not only that, just because they're dressed in that specific way doesn't mean that you have the right to take their picture. You know, some people feel that they can just take pictures of anything and anyone without asking permission. Right. But, you know, even if you do ask and they say, sure, you know, I'm proud of what I've done. Please take my picture, you know, because that's part of what I want to do. I want to spread my skills around because some people do this professionally and they get, you know, sponsorships and they Mm -hmm. make money off of it. And especially people that are really, really good at it and have, like, the skills and the ability to well, make these. And it's gotten to the point where even cosplayers, uh, like the more well-known ones, uh, Yaya Han comes to mm-hmm. uh, mind in- immediately. Um, she was at the convention as, like, a featured cosplayer. She had a booth there. Yes. You know, she was signing autographs and having photo ops and whatnot. So, you know, it's one of those things where you you can start out by just being a fan and, you know, creating a costume in, you know, your bedroom. And you, too, could potentially become a featured cosplayer with your own booth at these conventions. Like, that's crazy. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, it's, it's just because somebody is there and just because somebody is trying to pay homage to a character who has been portrayed a certain way. Um, you know, a lot of times we see these badass characters and they do show a lot of skin and they do have certain things exposed. And that doesn't make them any less badass. And regardless of your body type... You should be able, if you, if you want to play this character, you should be able to play this character. And that doesn't give anybody else the right to say or do anything towards you because of that. Yeah, there's no reason that people should have to, you know, and this goes for real life too, but for whatever reason, people all of a sudden, you know, like, oh, you're dressed as this character and this is a character that... You know, even though it's an animated character, I'm, you know, I, I, I've, uh, you know, had fantasies about I'm trying to keep it classy here. Um, Since when? Yeah. <laughs> well, because I'm talking about a serious issue. Uh, just because you've had these fantasies, uh, it doesn't mean that this person is here to grant those fantasies to you. That's not what they're there well, for. Right. Just because they're I'm dressed because... as this character doesn't mean that I am this character. Right. I'm dressed as Bayonetta, but that doesn't mean that it's okay for you to come up and grab my ass. It doesn't mean that, oh, you, we you can... can appreciate the artwork, but I'm not here for your entertainment. Like, oh, you know, I'll take a picture with you. Stand next to me. Don't hug me. And if it's okay that, you know, ask, is it okay if I hug you? Don't bury your face between my boobs. Like, that's because so many times these women have to deal with this type of thing. Or someone just walking by like, hey, I think you look good. Let me slap your ass. No, that is not okay. Sometimes it's not even the physical stuff. It's the catcalling. It's 
the the words, the words over time, and even the strongest person, you know, you just kind of get sick of hearing it, you know, and it's like, yes, I'm aware that this is this and that is that, and you know, it's the costume, and that's exactly what it is. It's the costume. So, you know, it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a slut. I'm just dressed as a character. And even if I was a slut, who cares? It's none of your business. Yeah, it's but none, it has nothing to do with you. But, you know, but, uh, but it was nice seeing those signs everywhere, just kind of reminding people that, yes, cosplay is not consent, you know, and if you are looking for pictures, ask and um, you know, keep your hands to yourself. Pretty yeah, much. And, and you know, make and and here's the thing: like everyone should feel comfortable. You know, I think it takes a lot of, of I'm going to say balls for lack of better word. It takes a lot of but it takes a lot of guts to you know be able intestinal to fortitude pull off some of these characters and the talent that some of these these cosplayers have. It's just out of this world, and I'd hate for people to be deterred from doing it because other people are assholes. I did. I took a picture of the sign. I pulled it up so I could read it so people could see. It says in huge, huge font, cosplay is not consent. Please keep your hands to yourself. If you would like to take a picture with or of another fan expo attendee, Always ask first and respect that person's right to say no. When at Fan Expo Boston, please be respectful and kind to each other. And that doesn't just go for Fan Expo Boston. That goes for every goddamn where you go. Okay? I mean, I mean, obviously, we'll post some of these pictures that we took at the con. Um, oh, my God, you guys. So there was this guy dressed as Tina Belcher from Bob's Burgers. Oh, my and God. he was, was so awesome. awkward. It was amazing. Amazing. He was fully committed to the character and I loved it. And when I asked him, I was like, excuse me, can I please take your picture? He said, yes. And then when I went to take his picture, he says, butts. And I was like, oh my God, this is the best day of my life. Yes. yes it was amazing. So I, w- I will, uh, I did find, for those of you, uh, Wolfie, you've seen uh, Infinity War, yes? Okay. I didn't want to ruin anything. So one of the, uh, one of the T's, and if you've ever seen like raw T's where it's just like, Looks like stuff that like you just picked up off the forest floor and dumped into a, a container. Uh, one of them is called "I Am Groot," and uh, that one just hit a little too uh, close to the ending of. Uh, it's basically like small twigs and branches, <laughs> and, like leaves and shit. Uh, I'll post a picture of it. Um, but we have a lot of pictures from from the con, including uh, some stuff from Tea and Absinthe, um, a gun sword. The uh, Highlander sword, some some really cool stuff. So, who else did we get an interview with? We also got an interview with um, a guy by the name of Frank Mastromoro, who is the co-owner of Aspen Comics. And um, for folks who don't know, Aspen Comics was founded uh, by uh, Michael Turner, who did uh, Witchblade. So, if you're familiar with that, that's a another. Uh, costume that a lot of folks will cosplay as um and you can see that in some of their art in their title um fathom you can definitely see that it's got some uh some michael turner art because you can see when an artist has a specific style um especially if you're very familiar with them you know like someone like todd mcfarlane or um Eric Larson, these are the ones that I'm, you know, because I read a lot of Spider-Man. So Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, and um, 
Oh, I'm losing. There was a, there was another guy with them all in the same time because Eric Larson moved on to do um, Savage Dragon, and there was somebody else that worked on that. If you remember who that was, please let me know because I'm drawing a complete blank. But I really enjoyed their their work. Uh, you know, Rob Liefeld is another guy who has a very uh, distinct style, and you can see that in the Fathom comics. So we got a chance to talk to uh, to Mister Master Morrow, and we had a good. 15-minute conversation about the different titles, about the different uh, different directions. You know, he writes, he, he works on pretty much every book. You know, maybe not necessarily drawing or writing, but absolutely editing. You know, going through and making sure that, you know, things are following a specific pattern, specific, uh, you know, storyline. Uh, and one thing I didn't know, and um, I found this fascinating, I know you did too, is a lot of their artists get their artists and their writers get kind of subcontracted out to DC and Marvel. Mm-hmm. So you know it's like, well, I've never heard of Aspen Comics. Like maybe not, but you might have seen some of uh, their creators. You know, their writers, their artists, their inkers, their their pencilers. You might have seen their work in other books. Now he didn't get into specifics as to which books they were. He just said Marvel and DC. So they have a huge range uh, of different comics. Uh, Fathom, I think, is their, their, their big one. Yes. Um, obviously, I'm, gonna do, uh, you know, I'm working on an article for this, so I can kind of really uh, delve into it more deeply and give a lot more background because, like I said, it was like a 15-minute conversation with him just you know, telling us all about all, all the great work that these guys are doing over at their... Um, at their uh, their company you know and not only that like what inspired them to become comic book artists you know a lot of these people they don't start out i mean they start out as comic book fans but they go into not saying that you know art and whatnot is real life work but they go into you know they major in other things and they do other things because they don't think that certain things can pay the bills and then their love for comics and art and writing take over and they realize, you know what, it's either this or nothing. And, you know, they start these companies. And I think that's so, it's braver than I could ever be. Yeah. And it's, it's, um... you know, to really follow your dream and follow this path that you love so much and to take everything that you love about comics. And I remember him, um, he just poetically talking about the Hulk. He loves the Hulk. And, like that's his you know, and, and that is ultimately, you know, a couple of Hulk storylines that really drew him to the comic book world and more of the behind the scenes stuff, you know, writing and producing, you know, putting together a comic book and, you know, creating the art and some uh, so many talented people out there. So many incredibly talented people. And this guy was definitely one of them. Um, he was such a pleasure to talk to and one thing I love talking to people about is not only what they do but what makes them happy you know like what brought them to the point that they're at right now and listening to him talk about not only the Hulk but a couple of other I think it was DC Mm -hmm. storylines again I'm not up on my comic book 
lingo stuff. So um, I, I don't remember what he well, was talking about. Well, there was one that we covered on the show, Planet Hulk, um, Worldwide Yeah, Hulk. but he, I just said he mentioned a yeah, couple I know, of DC, DC things. And I, can't, I can't remember what he was talking about. Maybe, maybe it was like Dark Side or something. Um, but anyways, um, just seeing somebody light up like that and you know talk about something that they loved so much that ultimately changed their life you know kind of created this life path for them i think that's just super cool yeah and you know like you were saying and i remembered who it was mark bagley was the other spider-man right uh uh artist you know eric larson mark bagley and 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 mcfarland like all in a row but like what you were saying is these guys getting a chance to go out and you know create their own company and have you know artistic freedom that they want and some people are able to do that easier than others like when you know todd mcfarlane did i want to say image i believe it was image comics that did spawn you know and there was like this mass exodus from marvel you know liefeld left and jim lee left and they were working on on uh image you know like the young bloods and stuff like that um you know john prophet you you get to see these guys like i could never do this stuff at marvel or dc at least not at the time like spawn like spawn was a hyper violent car uh cartoon hyper violent comic same with uh some of the other image stuff like again the young bloods uh you know the prophet comics like they were brutal uh, a lot of blood a lot of guts a lot of a lot of uh hypersexuality you know we see that uh with uh witchblade uh and that was and that's uh michael turner so like you get to see these these folks who have success in one area and they're able to turn that over and that inspires other people like you were saying like that inspires these other people like this is what i want to do this is how i want to live my life and they're able to do so and like that's really inspiring like it's great to see that people are able to chase their passion passion yeah and and uh and just grow and and create something that's unique and original and and their own so so i think uh what we'll do we'll uh We'll take another quick break. We'll come back. We'll give you a preview of next week's show because I'm very excited for next week's show. And uh, interesting story about the battle results. So uh, we'll get to that right after this. Do you love a scary story? Do you love to dance? The big scary monster haunts at midnight is a collection of dark songs about sex, love, death, revenge, and the end of the world. Electro-shock band, the Dead Ace. 
on Sunday. Well, hello there, neighborinos. The handle's Mr. Most Days Off, but my friends call me Miles, and I'm the host of the Best Darn Diddly Review Show. Hello, Mr. Most Days Off. <laughs> and that's my best friend, Richie the Whiz Kid, the co-host of Best Darn Diddly. Hi, ho there, podcasterinos. The Best Darn Diddly Review Show is a weekly journey through the entire Simpsons series, hosted by us, two guys who grew up loving The Simpsons. We discuss every diddly, every doodly, and every do. So lace up your assassin sneakers, put on your skin-tight ski suit, and head down the slopes with us at Best Darn Diddly. Stupid, sexy, best darn diddly. You can catch us each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Ray Hall. Oh yeah. So, uh, I think that's going to pretty much wrap up our uh, our, our talk about Fan Expo. We're going to have a, a lot more uh, convention talk uh, in the coming coming months. Uh, we'll be at Rock and Shock in October. We'll be at um, Rhode Island Comic Con beginning in November. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be very exciting. Um, but we did have a battle last week. We did. And something happened. Something did happen. Now, we had a magical competition between three highly skilled witches. Yes. Not just any witches. Teenage witches. Teenage witches. Yes. Uh, Sabrina, the teenage witch. It's right there in the name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Teen witch. Again, right in the name. And uh, Hermione Granger, who was the star of the last episode. Yes. I don't know who won, and I don't know who lost, because it seems that whoever lost erased all evidence from the internet. There's no way to know who won or lost. So I don't know how that happened or why that happened, but we're going to look into it. And next week we're going to have another interesting battle for you. Well, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know why, but I'm pretty sure I know how. Magic. Witchcraft. Yeah, magic. Witchcraft. Anytime you're not, you, anytime you see something like that, a wizard did it. That's what Lucy Lala said. Witchcraft. So She's uh, a witch. <laughs> next week we are going to be discussing something that I love so so much. We are going to be talking about shark movies. And Sharks! It's just in time for if you missed Megalodon on Sci-Fi, it's just on just in time for for you to catch it uh, when it starts hitting streaming services. So we're going to be talking about shark movies. We're going to be talking about Jaws. We're going to be talking about the Meg. We're going to be talking about Megalodon. We're going to be talking so about Sharknado. Many shark movies and wine. Send so many wines. It's going to be the best. I am so excited. I'm super pumped. Uh, we have some interesting feedback from some really cool folks who are going to help us through our shark journey. And uh, I think we're, 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 I think we're going to turn uh, Castle, Castle Wolfenstein into an aquarium. 
Uh, we will. We will. Uh, there won't be any great whites, though. No great whites in captivity. So nope. doesn't work. Don't nope. try it. Yeah, don't do it. Um, but I think I think that's about it. We do, do we have anything else that we wanted to mention? Um, yes, we did. So, um, not too long ago, as in the other night, we went to a benefit at the Cove for the Darkness for Light fundraiser, benefiting Miss Kim Cody, who is a good friend of the show and of the Grand Guignol Network. And, and everyone she meets, basically. Yes, she's amazing, and she's beautiful, and she's wonderful, and all of the nice world words like in the world that, that pretty much describes her, because she's just great. Um, but anyways, there is currently a fundraiser going around. It's a GoFundMe campaign put together by a mutual friend, and we are looking to raise money for Kim Cody as she continues to pay off medical bills and everything else that life has just kind of thrown at her over the past couple of years. Yeah. The last uh, 18 months, she lost her mother. She lost her father. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, she had a pulmonary embolism. So what we here at Throwdown Thursday will be doing is putting together kind of like a fun Razor in cooperation with this fundraiser. We're still working out the details, but be sure to stay tuned to the Facebook page and the Instagram. Yep, uh, TD Thursday. Throw it on Thursday podcast. That's on Instagram. That's yeah, Instagram and the Twitter. TD Thursday Pod. Um, and you can also follow us as well. We'll be posting stuff about it. Um, we're going to have ourselves a little contest. Yep. And there are going to be some amazing prizes. There's going to be autographs. There's going to be... Uh, Fun stuff. Nerd paraphernalia. Ooh. There's going to be uh, some books. There's going to be some... Just a ton of cool shit. Yeah. So definitely stay tuned to uh, the social medias. And we will definitely get you more information as soon as it becomes available. Yep. Uh, we haven't decided exactly what we're doing, but we're doing something cool. And um, and we're going to see what uh, what we can do, and we'll let you know how you can help. Yeah. So until next week, kids, we, we will, will see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. <laughs>